And happily for many of us, Memorial Day marks the beginning of the summer. It's a time to relax with family and with friends, to fire up the grill, to get caught up on some yard work, or in our case, to unpack some more boxes and see if we can squeeze that extra car into the garage. And if you're like me, you're always on the lookout for just a little more downtime to clear the head, to breathe, and to get some headspace to just think a few moves ahead. I'm excited that our senior minister, Clay Stauffer, gets a break this weekend and gets some time with his family, recharging his batteries and, and getting some fresh vision for our church. And I can tell you, there isn't a single moment where Clay isn't thinking about Woodmont and the people here and the best ways to provide this church with pastoral care and then mobilize us into ministry and I think one of the best ways that we can minister to Clay and his family is just to be in continual prayer for, for Clay and for Megan and their family. Amen, everybody. Memorial Day is also a time to reflect on those who have gone before us, who have contributed to our being able to enjoy the life and the freedoms that we enjoy. And the observance originated out of remembrances of those who had died during the Civil War and then expanded after World War II to the holiday that, that we now are able to enjoy and observe. And so, yes, this is a wonderful weekend to relax and to regroup, but it's also a chance to collectively reflect on the lives of those whose legacies we are now building upon with our own lives. So take just a moment to think about it. Who in your life has made the greatest lasting impact on who you are, on how you think, the things that you aspire to in life, the dreams that you dream, the hopes that you have, and finally, the impact that you see your life having in the lives of those around you. Because I believe that our own vision for life is so often associated with those who have left a lasting impact on us. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention that for me, that person was my own father, John Hutchins, who passed away last June. A community leader, a business leader in New Orleans, an elder in his church. My memories of him will always be as one of the most honorable, peaceable human beings of incredible character that I have ever met. And for all that my dad accomplished in his 88 years of life, the image that resonates with me are those of Saturday evenings when he would sit in his easy chair in the living room putting together the song list that he would lead in our home church there in New Orleans that they would be singing on Sunday morning. And listen, my dad was amazing at many things, but when he led singing, he only knew one arm motion to keep time, and sometimes the church would keep time with them. But he loved it. He loved it, and looking back, I think he did it because he saw that as a gift that he could offer and probably because there wasn't anyone else who would dare to lead the singing. So I wanna offer you this this morning. We are blessed to have what the author of Hebrews calls a cloud of witnesses who have poured into our lives and upon whose shoulders we now stand. They are 
pillars for us. And we honor them today because of the things that they stood for are worth remembering and talking about and passing on to the next generation. So in ancient Israel, God's people memorialized their significant encounters with God by giving the place where it happened a brand new name and often even leaving a pile of stones so that the people could look and remember what God had done. And so in the book of Joshua, as the people of Israel crossed the Jordan River, which God had miraculously parted for them into the promised land, Moses tells all the heads of the 12 tribes to take a stone and to stack them in the middle of the Jordan. And this is what's recorded in, in Joshua. Moses says, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israelites to serve as a sign among you. And in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So I have this funny image in my mind that as a young Jewish child might survey the landscape around their home, they would see piles of stones set up all over the place commemorating all the different ways the people of God had experienced the power of God. And a parent might point to a pile and say, See that one? See that one there? That's when God did this thing for his people. And I wonder, what would it look like for us to do the same thing today? What if we could boldly point to places and people in whom we saw God working powerfully and even doing miraculous things? What impact do you think that would have on the God consciousness of our children and their ability to know that they live in a world where God is good and at work and leading us into a future where God reigns. In fact, we talked about this a little bit this past week in staff meeting. We were grieving together the horrific news of the shooting incident in Uvalde, Texas. And, and Clay was asking the staff what we all thought could be done. And someone, I think it was Andrew or Anne-Marie, asked the question, where were the parents? of the perpetrator, where indeed, right? And someone cited a study that said the most significant developmental asset of a child that they could ever have would be a trusted, caring adult in their lives who singles them out for unconditional acceptance and love. And I don't know about you, but I want my children to have adults like that in their lives, and I will do what I need to do to have them in an environment where mature adults are inviting them into Christ-formed maturity. And one of the things that I love about our church is that at Woodmont, we are serious about having Christ-following, Christ-modeling adults present in our children's lives at every stage of their development. And so we have leaders who are strategically placed to do just that. We have Abby and Justin and Katie working with our kids. We have Chris and Jenny and Mariah ministering to our youth. Sunday school teachers like Cyril Stewart and Christy Williams and so many others 
And I've come to appreciate um, recently Andra, who as one PK to another PK has reached out to Neely as we've made the move to Nashville. And all of these leaders make a huge difference in the lives of our children and our youth and our families. And they are pillars for those with eyes to see. And it's part of the overall ministry of our church family because we know that parents cannot do the work of raising children to be mature disciples of Christ without the presence of other unconditionally loving and encouraging adults in their lives. And we do this not just because there's a study that says it's a good practice, but because of years of lived community experience where significant leaders in our church have raised up generations of children and youth to step into the next season of mission in the life of Woodmont Christian Church. And so that leads me really to what the point of my message is this morning. As we remember the ones who have been pillars of faith for our church and in our lives, we commit ourselves to become that for our children and youth and also adults. To be leaders of small groups and Sunday school classes, to facilitate a CWF circle or leave a serve team at our church. And we do this because we know that our legacy, our calling, our offering of our spiritual gifts makes all the difference in the life of someone hungering after God. And so this is the echo that I hear in our scripture reading from Paul's letter to the Philippians this morning. It's advice that sounds like keep on keeping on advice, but I think a closer reading yields an admonition. Paul is all about influencing others with the very thing that God has done inside of us and even here, he is calling out the very best of his listeners to carry the presence of God, to bring the influence of Christ, and to leave an indelible christ form mark on the people and on the institutions around them. And so this is what he says in Philippians chapter 4. My apologies to, to Justin, because I want to read it again just to refresh our memories of what Paul is saying and, and how we move into being people of influence. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. He says, the Lord is near. Do not worry about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But I love this last section of chapter 4 where he focuses their thinking on the things which are noble and honorable and true. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is anything of excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, what does he say you do? He says, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. And I'm an inveterate list maker. And so maybe chalk that up to being an accountant's son. I don't know. But as I was thinking this past week, 
about how to make the pivot from remembering those who had gone before to becoming one who influences those who come after. This passage from Paul leapt to my mind. And to help wrap my mind around what Paul was asking of these Philippian believers to help them increase their influence, I broke it down into, into five practices. So here we go. I want you to file this under. How can I begin the move to become a spiritual pillar in the life of someone else? So here they are, and then I'm going to talk just briefly about each one. Find the joy. Become a non-anxious presence. Fix your sights on spirit-filled excellence. Engage the conversation with God and then keep doing the things that build others up into the best versions of themselves. So the first is find the joy. During our six months in separate cities, Susan and I had um, really two different possible ways that we would start our day. So we would call each other around seven o'clock in the morning. What are you doing? One of us would ask. And then the answer might be something like this. My body hurts. I didn't get much sleep last night. I have these meetings today and I'm not ready and I'm anxious about them. And I would call these conversations, I would call them the litany of sorrows is how we would start our day. And you can imagine how um, the mood would be, what it would look like for the rest of the day. But then there were also days where around 7 a.m. someone would make the call. What are you doing? Listening to praise music reading my Bible, got up this morning and, and spent some time in prayer. And then often, and I, and I love my wife so much, so often she'd be the one, well, let's pray about that. You know, I'd, being the minister, you'd think I would start that, but she would always be the one. And we'd pray for the meetings, and we would pray through the challenges, and we'd pray for the day. A good friend of mine who ministers a, a church in Memphis, a large church in Memphis, one of the fastest growing ones there, gave me this wise counsel he said, start your day in prayer and keep praying until the joy comes. I love that. I was reading Toulouse's book yesterday, and she begins one of the chapters with um, a quote from the writer Wendell Berry, which goes like this. This is what he said. He said, what is foreseen in joy must be lived out from day to day. And so here's my word to you. Fight through to the joy. Live into the joy. Expect the joy to come. Speak the joy into your life and the lives of others. It's out of the joy that you will find your spirit space to minister to others. And then there's this bit about becoming a non-anxious presence. Number two, I have to confess something to you. And please don't judge or hold it against me, right? Here it is. I can sometimes be an anxious presence. Anybody else? So let's just say I come by it very naturally. So rather than give you five steps on how not to be, on how not to be non-anxious, let me, let me cast some vision around what people experience when you bring that atmosphere and safe space into other people's lives. So when you bring a non-judgmental, non-anxious presence, people around you, Begin to experience a freedom to hear God's voice for themselves and not the voice of someone else telling them what they think God wants for them to hear. I want you to let that sink in. 
So just imagine how few places there are where people can actually hear the call of God over their lives without being told that they're stupid or misguided or sinful. In fact, what they hear is this. They hear encouragement to listen, encouragement to try and fail, encouragement to dream and dream some more what God's kingdom could look like if we were free to live into it. And then three, fix your sights on spiritual excellence. And I love in our scripture reading how Paul points his listeners to that which they already know in their spirits and in their experiences to be beautiful and noble and true. And can I just say that our spirits already hunger for these things. You don't need a lot of well, well laid out philosophy to figure it out. Instead, let's, let's speak some words around our, our spiritual longings. For instance, I long for a world where violence does not take the life of anyone's child. Amen. My spirit longs for a world where we don't live in competition, but we live in life-giving cooperation. My spirit longs for a world where we build each other up to better care for and steward a creation that's been entrusted to us. My spirit longs for all people getting to thrive in their giftedness spurred on by the community around them. And let me ask you this, because I think you already know, what does your spirit long for in its most honest moment. And then there's engaging the conversation with God. And, and here's why we do that, I think. I don't always trust the conversation that's going on in my head. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I don't know about you, but, but sometimes the feelings that influence my thinking about things, and I have this uncanny ability to rationalize those feelings as representing reality as it really is when it isn't. And I think one of the reasons that Christians pray is to listen for a voice that isn't theirs, but a voice that calls us to something higher and better and more mature and more profound than we could ever imagine we could be. And so Paul says this, he says, give it all to God, every bit of it, and then sit, and then listen for what God says back. For me, there always comes in this place of quiet confidence and accountability to a higher and more far-reaching purpose. And then my, lastly, in this list of how we grow into pillars who influence others, keep doing the things which build up and bring out the best in others. And I end with this one on purpose because it guides everything that we do in ministry. In our relationship with others, we are always asking God, how can God use my gifts to bring out the giftedness in someone else? And so Paul puts it this way, he says, Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you, is what he says. And the idea is not that we bask in some good teaching so that we can have some kumbaya, peaceful moment with God. The idea is that we intentionally mirror the ones 
where we have seen the miraculous activity of God and work of God and the hopes that our lives will touch the brokenness of someone and bring into their lives the healing of Jesus Christ. So I wanna close with a, with a quote from a book that I just started reading um, by Valerie Cower entitled See No Stranger. And that book, I would love, it's on my summer reading list, by the way, for, for books that I recommend reading over the summer. And it's amazing testimony of what life looks like together when we begin to see ourselves woven closely together, yoked together, so that together we can call out of each other God-breathed giftness and greatness. And so this is what she writes. She says, love is a form of sweet labor, fierce, bloody, and perfect, and life-giving, a choice we make over and over again. Love as labor can be taught, modeled, and practiced. This labor engages all of our emotions. Joy, she says, is the gift of love. Grief is the price of love. Anger protects what is loved. And when we think we have reached our limit, she says, wonder is the act that returns us to love. And my prayer for our church this morning is that a little Memorial Day remembrance and relaxation will renew in us a sense of wonder over what God has in store for us in the season ahead. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we are so thankful for a Sunday where we pause and remember those who have gone before us, those whose lives have, have touched our lives, upon whose shoulders we now stand, who propel us forward into an exciting and compelling season of ministry together where we are able to use the gifts that we have been given, that you have poured out into us so that other people would have an encounter, a life-changing healing encounter with your son, Jesus Christ. And so we thank you, God, for seeing in us what we could not see so often for ourselves, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.